Hello and welcome to Theoretically Theatrical. In this series, we peek behind the curtain and explore the world of performance. Today, we're speaking to Tyler Foley, a Canadian actor and public speaker. Well, hello and thank you for coming to speak to us today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Rosie. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I really, I love your show, so I'm excited to be on. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoy it. We're very excited to have you. So for the benefit of our audience, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I've, I'm an actor, performer, author, husband, father, um, entrepreneur, jack of all trades. Um, I've been in performing arts for 35 years. Wow, that is quite the resume as well. Um, so how did you get into acting? Um, I actually started on the stage when I was six years old. I remember the first performance I ever did was probably like one of those school plays, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a Christmas uh, pageant kind of thing. And then right after Christmas in February of 1986, my father actually passed away. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, um, I didn't really outwardly grieve his passing because I was six years old. I don't think I really actually understood the finality of, of what had happened. And I don't think I fully processed what it all meant. And so my aunt and uh, my uncle and my mom who were looking for an outlet for me so that I had some kind of emotional release. I think they felt that I might've been repressing or, or bottling things up and they wanted to have a, a space that was safe for me to, to be emotional. And, uh, it, there happened to be a local theater company who was struggling finding, uh, a young lead to play tiny Tim oh. and I'm a wee wee lad. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was, it was easy, uh, growing up in the theater and then transitioning to film and television because I was, you know, I could play four very convincingly at six and seven years old, but yeah. that's how I got into theater. Um, I think a little bit of luck, a little bit of circumstance, a little bit of grace. Mm. And uh, I was I was hooked the very first time I made an audience laugh. And as soon as I got my first standing ovation, that was in my veins and it's never left. Mm. There's there is nothing quite so addictive as getting audience feedback. Oh, so good. It's a it's a drug I live for every day. Mm. Uh, it, it truly is my greatest vice. Like I will, I will do anything to be on stage, much to my wife's chagrin. As you mentioned, you've worked in a lot of different mediums. So, mm-hmm. what, what's it like for you transitioning between uh, theatre and film and stunts, and, and why did you choose to do that? Well, I mean, I don't think any performer chooses to do one thing. Like most performers, somebody says, hey, do you want to do this job? You say, yes, I do want to do this job. And then you figure it out from there. So it, for me, I, it, was, um, it was a fairly easy transition. I, I mean, again, starting in theater at six, you just kind of do theater. And at first, I didn't even have representation. I didn't have an agent. It just, my uncle happened to uh, bump into the casting director for a regional theater company that was here. It was based just across from City Hall, and he worked for City Hall. And he happened to overhear her one day during a lunch hour because my uncle never cooks for himself. He always eats out. Uh, he just happened to hear her complaining about how hard it was to find kids in, in theater. And he had just seen me in in the production 
at school and kind of said, well, you know, what needs to happen? And they exchanged information. And, and so again, I, unlike most actors, I, I didn't even have to struggle at, at first. There was struggle later, but at first I was just handed this, this opportunity. And I, I, you know, I hear some people trying to break into the business and, and how, and the struggle that they have doing it. And it just, I didn't have that. And so I got a lot of mentorship because there were a lot of adults who were, you know, it felt bad for my mom too. And there, so a lot of the cast would be like, oh, well, you know, let Tyler do this, or here's a really good agent in town. You need to go have them talk to Roxanne. And, and so the next thing I know, yeah, I've got, I've got representation. And then when you have representation, you have somebody who's actively seeking this stuff for you and they don't limit you to one box. Here's theater, here's film, here's TV, here's all of this stuff. So you just go out and audition. And I was young enough that I didn't specialize in a style. I just kind of showed up and, and had play. It was playtime. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older, I, I went to a fine arts high school where I really started to recognize the difference between a film performance and a stage performance and even a TV performance because there's TV dramas, there's TV sitcoms, there's, there's different right? A sitcom is such a weird hybrid between theatrical acting and television acting because you need to have a big performance, but don't move while you have a big performance, you know, <laughs> where theater, you have to have a big performance and you need to reach your audience and yeah. damn near touch them. Right. And, <laughs> uh, and then with, and then again, too, depending on the film, like I've had some film auditions, like you see, I read the scripts and they're like grounded in reality must be, you know, mm, this is, we're getting too theatrical of performance. So like, even what I just did was probably too theatrical for that audition. Mm -hmm. um, but then I get others. Like when I was in scary movie three, I had to, um, I was frat boy. Number one, in <laughs> scary movie three, Google it. You'll find it. But if you watch the movie, you'll miss me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they, I, I had to like do this fake vomit thing where I was just like, ah, right. And so that was, that was still a, a, a film audition, but I was just ridiculously over the top with it. So mm -hmm. I never approach the medium one way. I approach the role in the project one way. So what is it that ultimately needs to be communicated through my performance? And that usually dictates what that performance is, how grounded in reality or how absolutely absurd and over the top it is, or finding the, the medium in between. That kind of naturally leads on to the next question of how do you approach the different types of performance you give? Is there a different routine you go through? First of all, how much time I've been given, <laughs> you know? Like, and and <laughs> as dumb as it is, how much I actually want the role. Okay. Like, I, no word of a lie. I self-taped an audition less than 12 hours ago it's a fun project. It's a, a serial Western that's being filmed out here. Oh, fantastic. And, um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, but it just, it's just a day player role with it. It could, uh, I think the, they alluded to the fact that the role may uh, extend out a couple of episodes, but uh, to be honest, it's one of those ones where it wasn't a character that I really identified with. It's definitely a character that I get typecast with. So oh. I tend to play, um, gentlemen who are less than pleasant with their female companions. <laughs> and 
it frustrates me because that's not not me in real life. And it is because like, I I think I'm genuinely a really nice guy and and I hope my wife agrees. (laughs) She puts up with a a lot from me, but I'm definitely not, um, I'm not the kind of guy that I tend to play on film. Mm. And I, but I play the character well. And I think I've, I've seen the stereotype enough that I can embrace the role, but I don't like playing it. So when I got this script, I went, eh. Mm-hmm. And I even remember, because uh, my wife right now, it has to be my reader. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we put my daughter to bed. I got the studio set up. We started doing the audition. And she goes, ew. Like that, <laughs> that was her response to, you know. So I knew that I nailed the character. At least, at least I got that. But you know, you don't want you don't want to be doing the projects where your wife goes, "Ew." <laughs> I'd rather do the like I did a musical last year called uh, Featherpen Fairy Tales, mm. and it's oh man, phenomenal! A uh, uh, brand new production. So that, that was the other great thing. I got to I got to invent the character because it had never been staged before. It oh. was a brand new musical, beautiful music composed by an incredible. Um, woman. Her name's uh, Marin uh, Burnham, Marin Ord Burnham. And uh, she's a, a, an award-winning composer and uh, playwright and just, just amazing music. And I wanted that one. It was meaty, you know, like that's, that's the kind of thing. So, and that I had like three weeks to prep. So I had the songs down. I had a character. I had the whole, like I had everything mm-hmm. going. And this, this one, um, that I auditioned for last night, I had just, just over 24 hours to prep it. Sometimes you just get that role that speaks to you. A a good friend of mine and an acting coach, uh, Chantel, she was reading for a role and it was one of those like cop drama ones. Mm -hmm. And she was supposed to be the abused wife. And she was like, I don't like the abused wife. I don't even identify with this. I don't, but she really liked the cop that Mm -hmm. was interrogating the abused wife. (laughs) And she was like, but it's, it was a male role. She's like, no. So she didn't read, like, and, and again, self-tape. So she didn't even get a chance to talk it out with her agent or with the casting director. She just took an absolute gamble and just read the cop role and changed when she was doing the audition. She just, you know, when she title carded at the beginning, she was like, cop, and sent it in and booked it. I was like, good gamble. It doesn't always pay off. And you can definitely burn some bridges that way. So I'm not recommending it to all of your listeners. But, you know, every once in a while, you have to advocate for yourself and uh, and be like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know what? I, I Again, be careful, but also massive applause for that. Well done, honey. Oh, fantastic. Now that we have thoroughly sullied my reputation, uh, <laughs> you've... Um, in in recent years, you have transitioned into more of a public speaking role. Um, yeah. w- would you mind talking a little bit about that? So that's been a really fun kind of transition because, mm. you know, prior to coming on this show, I guarantee none of your audience had heard who Tyler was, right? And even if they, you know, we dropped my stage name, my full name, my actor, my performance name, Sean Tyler Foley, they're still going, who the hell is that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you, you IMDB me, and I'm a, a, a great list of a lot of day players. 
And half the time you watch the stuff that I'm in and it doesn't make a cutting room floor, but please know that you have to slow it down to see all the frames of celluloid that I'm in. So, you know, I, I've, I've been in this industry now 35 years, but it's not like I'm famous, you know, and there was a time where I was a working actor, Mm -hmm. like from about 17 to 25 uh, I lived in Vancouver, which is the epicenter of film for Canada, um, Hollywood North. And I, I, that was all I did. I just acted, acted, acted. But after a while, I mean, I, at that point, at 25, I'd been in the industry for 20 years. So I was getting a little tired. I was getting a little jaded. Wanted something different. Went back to school, semi-retired from show business. And then as I've just uh, grown in my entrepreneurial spirits, I, I run my own company. And I, I've kind of found this niche where because I've been performing and on stage for as long as I have, I have an incredible comfort with being in front of an audience and speaking. And I've found the freedom of being able to say my own thoughts instead of having to recite and speak back somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And there has been an, uh, an amazing, um, transition that has come with that because now what I found is that I'm teaching other people the art of performance in public speaking. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you ask, 77% of the world will claim that they're terrified of public speaking. And the reality is they're not because most of us speak in public every day. But a lot of people wish that they could be better and don't know where to start. Or there are people who want to do this. Do you know what I mean? There, there are a small percentage of people in the world who are like, I want nothing more than to be on stage and tell my story. Mm-hmm. I'm like, great, but you're doing it really boring right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have this ability to bring it out of people. So, you know, from just a whole bunch of different life experiences have brought me to a point where for the last couple of years, I've now trained people how to be better public speakers or just overcome the fear of public speaking to begin with. And a lot of it comes from what I learned growing up in the theater. I use a lot of theater sports. I use a lot of improv. I use a lot of play to get people to just loosen up, have some fun, find their story and tell it in a compelling way. And it's been an absolute joy. I'm so glad to hear that. And that's another thing that you love about performance and 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 being and because again playing having fun and it's such an important part of how we learn how even as an adult learning how to interact in a new situation playing at it being being performative uh, and collaborative that's such an important way to learn so that that must be a wonderful experience for you Oh, it is. Especially when I get to run the live workshops. Like this last year has been really difficult because there's only so much that I can translate over a Zoom call. If you are presenting that information on a video call, you need to amp it up like three, four, five times. And so I've had this really great gift because a lot of people will be on a Zoom call with me and they're like, wow, that was really good. What do you do? And I'm like, ha ha, that's how the last career started. So now I'm going to do this one too. Everybody asks, as soon as I hear at least five people ask me, that was really good. How do you do it? I'm like, aha, new training opportunity. Let's jump on board this. Everybody faces challenges in life. That is, again, a consequence of being human. Um, So what 
what are some of the challenges that you have encountered and, and how did you personally overcome them? The, I think the, the biggest one that I faced was probably at 17. I had uh, a medical incident that actually paralyzed the left side of my body for almost a year. Mm-hmm. And when you, at that point, when, you know, I'd been acting and performing for 11 years and that was the plan. There was the only, there was never any other plan. There was no plan B or C or D. There was plan A and that was Tyler was going to Hollywood. You know, (laughs) I was going to be in LA or New York and I was going to be a star name and lights, big time actor. And New Year's day, 1997, I woke up and the left side of my body didn't work. My face drooped. My hand wouldn't respond. You know, when you fall asleep on your arm Mm-hmm. And, and just that moment you wake up before the tingling happens and you can't feel it and it's flopping around. Mm-hmm. That was what it was like for me for about a month and a half after, uh, January 1st, 1997. I couldn't, my, it was there, but I couldn't feel it. Like I, if you were to touch it, I, I had no sensation. There was movement like I could do this kind of weird preambulation where I, I could shuffle and, and get stuff to work, but my brain would say, move the thing and it wouldn't move. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, if I tried to, to smile, I couldn't even brush my teeth. I, cause I couldn't close my, I couldn't sleep. I needed to sleep with an eye patch cause my eye wouldn't shut. And I couldn't even brush my teeth because my mouth wouldn't close. And to this day, we're not sure what caused the incident it could have been a mini stroke. It could have been a paralysis. It could have been a palsy. Um, we're not sure. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that my face wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And that at 17, when your entire life is performance, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden the thing, the instrument in which you require <laughs> to do the thing that you have set your life path on doesn't work. Now, all of a sudden, what do you do? And I, and what was worse is I, it was over the Christmas break. So I didn't even have, uh, support. I had my mom and that was it. You know, I didn't have my friends. My friends didn't know. And then when I went back to school, uh, they were, they were wonderfully supportive, but they were also 17 year old dickheads. So everybody (laughs) tried to make me laugh just to see me go. Because I couldn't smile out of the one side of my face, so it only lived on the other. And they were just, they were, they were loving and mean all at the same time. Mind you, I needed it. Because at the time, I'd become so complacent and so cocky within the craft because I didn't have to try, right? When you're six years old, by the time you're 17, you have a resume this long. And everybody else who's auditioning for it doesn't have anything. So who is the casting director and who is the director going to trust? Are you going to trust the guy? Because I promise you, and I'm sure your audience needs to hear this. You didn't get the role because you weren't talented. You didn't get the role because you weren't the right fit. Trust me, talent has nothing to do with casting. Mm -hmm. As somebody who's been on both sides of the camera, I promise you, it wasn't your talent. It wasn't even your personality, probably. It was just, (laughs) we found a different fit right? In Mm -hmm. any kind of group endeavor, you need to find all of the cogs in the wheel that align perfectly. And for whatever reason, you just didn't, you weren't the right cog. Your talent had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. Trust me, you are talented. You can get through it. And, but for me, right, my talent didn't matter. 
What mattered was the fact that I had a resume this long and they could trust me. I had trust equity built up within mm-hmm. a very small community because where regionally where I started, there wasn't a lot of people doing this. And so you, you go back to, to your base of trust. And so I, I had it easy, mm-hmm. but when it was taken away from me, because I was getting complacent. I, I, you know, I remember showing up to an audition. I didn't even read the sides. I was doing one of these things, you know, when you're, when you hold it just to the side of the camera and you're like, ha ha ha, blah, 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 ha ha ha, worst cue card ever. Like I, I was getting lazy because I knew I didn't have to try. But as soon as it got taken away, I got the fire back and I needed that hunger and I needed the drive. They told me that I'd never act again. So that was when I decided to go out to Vancouver. I was like, I'm, I can get back up here, but if I can get there, this is what I was meant to do. And for eight years, I was nothing but a professional actor. That was my job. And I made a living doing it. And I, I couldn't be more proud of myself for doing it. Definitely. That is something you should be very proud of, not just for getting past the physical problem, but that mental barrier as well, where it's in the mind that that doesn't just go away after an illness. And and so you should no. be incredibly proud and well done to your mum as well for supporting you, because that's so that that's such a blessing when people in your life are can be there for you and have that have the ability and the mental or physical fortitude to help you. So absolutely well done for getting through that you have uh, written a book uh, and uh would you like to would you mind telling us a little bit more about your book and perhaps also where people could get it oh absolutely so the uh, the book itself is called the power to speak naked and again it came about because people were asking me how do you do what you do right and i would i would strongly encourage anyone who's listening to this right now if you have people who consistently ask you how do you do that thing that is a thing you need to be sharing with the world. That is where your passion and your profit will definitely align. So anytime you have some, at least a few people come up to you and say, how do you do that thing? I wish I could do that. Or can you show me how to do that? Or any, anything of that nature, that's mm-hmm. a thing you need to focus on and keep doing. And so for me, that thing was speaking. And people would ask, how do you do that? Oh, I was so good. You know, especially when I transitioned away from the actual arts and into the real world. So I started to do these little workshops and show people how to be better on stage, be a little bit more engaging, uh, be a little bit more entertaining with what they were saying, not take themselves so seriously, too, is usually the, the big key. Like, have some fun. You're, if you, why are you doing this if it isn't fun for you to do? If it's not fun for you to do, find something else. Uh-huh. And so I would continue to do these um, these little workshops. And eventually I was saying the same thing over and over and over again to the point where I had a lot of content and I would just repeat it. And a friend of mine said, well, you should really put that into a book. And I was like, I don't want to write a book. I'm not a, I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. And she said, no, really, I think you should put that into a book. And I said, well, I don't want to write it. She goes, well, here's the good news, Tyler. You don't have to write it. There are other people who will write it for you. And you've actually written it. She said, you've got all of this material. How much of your courses do you record? I said, are you kidding? I'm an actor. I record everything. I don't go anywhere without a camera. I think my life is a reality TV show. Everything's (laughs) on film. And she's like, great. So let's transcribe it. And I went, oh, that's an idea. 
And so we took um, all of my training material, transcribed it, gave it to an incredible editor who compiled everything. And like I had, you know, my outline of what, of how my courses go. Mm-hmm. And so we just took the outline, put everything in, took out the redundancies. And next thing I knew, the power to speak naked had, had become a thing. Mm-hmm. And at first we self-published it because it was just a thing that I would give away. One day, a few people had gone to a seminar that I was at, had a publishing deal for their book, and they gave a copy of my book to the publisher. And next thing I know, I'm getting a call from David over at Morgan James Publishing. And he says, Tyler, I'd be really interested in publishing your book. Would that be something that would interest you? Mm-hmm. And so now, come September 7th of this year, Anybody can go to uh, bookstores across the world. I think like it's like 120 countries it's going to be in. And I'm so excited because this little side project, this thing that I didn't even want to do, has picked up such huge momentum that now it's going to be everywhere. And to your question, if anybody wants to get a copy, um, I would strongly encourage them to go to bookshop.org. And that will find your local book retailer. And you can definitely pre-order a copy of The Power to Speak Naked there. So bookshop.org if you can. And I, it, it's, it's good in most places in the world. If you can't find it in your region for whatever reason, mm-hmm. then uh, again, let's not support Jeff Bezos. Go over to barnesandnoble.com. And uh, if you can't get onto bookshop.org as a backup, go to barnesandnoble.com. And that's a good place to find it. Fantastic. Uh, I will pop a, as well as your website, I'll pop a little link to that in the uh, podcast description. So if people want to just click that link, uh, that'll be fantastic. Um, also, just before we move on from the book, why did you choose the title? Because it's yeah, a wonderful title, but also, can you, could you lift up the book cover again? Is, is that you? Is that, or is that a model? <laughs> I would love to claim that as me. That is actually a stock image that we grabbed from Amazon. <laughs> and uh, I am not actually allowed to advertise my book on, I've been banned from Amazon, Facebook, and Instagram because this book cover does not meet their uh, standards oh. as it is a graphic and lewd depiction of a sexually overt uh, something, something, something. I can't remember. Oh, and it, it accentuates either the breasts and or buttocks. And uh, so therefore, I'm not allowed to advertise. But the irony is it's stock footage from that very platform. And the thing is, is, you know, you should see the image on the back. <laughs> For, for clarification, for audio only listeners, um, the the the, pic, uh, the cover is a, a a wonderful depiction of the male form from the back. And to your other question too, how did the title come about? It came about because I think the worst advice people ever give people who are trying to get over the fear of public speaking or stage fright is mm-hmm. to picture the audience in their underwear or naked. You know, and I I remember hearing that, and I'm like, you know, how does that somehow make you less uncomfortable by picturing other people in a state of discomfort like that to me it and it would take up mental power like i'm already having to remember lines or where i'm going with this talk like why am i having to waste mental power now picturing my audience naked worst advice ever yeah also what so if your we parents are the in title, the audience right exactly like don't do that it's just it's unnecessary i was asking i was like okay so what's what's the uh best advice that you guys have gotten in in this little brainstorming session and people were you know 
staying stuff up because what we were going to do is we were going to reverse engineer. This is the advice that I was given. So that was going to become the title. And one of my friends was like, oh, yeah, I know you picture your audience naked. And I went off on a very similar rant to what I just did. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no. And I ended it by saying, and the worst part is I would rather give you the power to speak naked than for you to waste all this time picturing people naked. (laughs) And everybody went, ooh, that's good. Mm -hmm. But as I started to explore it, I also think that on the absolute root level of the title, I want people to be able to speak their raw naked truth. And be able to be vulnerable with their story because we spend so much time being guarded and putting up these barriers and these walls and these outfits and these clothes and these masks on Mm. that I think we need to be able to strip it all down and get real with each other and get raw and get down to the naked truth. That's absolutely wonderful. I certainly don't think I know everything. In fact, the one, the few things that I can be certain with and know that I know in my life is that I don't know a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly growing. And I believe in collaboration. I believe in uh, mentorship and peer support. And I also believe in giving back. You mentioned uh, in our pre-interview chat that the Canadian prime minister at the time also had a a similar, not the same, but a similar impediment. And he was a great public speaker and he inspired you. He really did. So at the time uh, when in 1997, our prime minister was Jean Chrétien and uh, a phenomenal orator and great leader, regardless of what your politics are, because I, you know, I, I, I heard that and I I said that and there were a whole bunch of people who were like, liberal, liberal, liberal. And they didn't, you know, because Politics is politics. Not everybody likes the platform. But what they can't argue is that the man was an incredible public speaker, um, Mm -hmm. despite a physical limitation that would would say otherwise. So I remember at the time thinking to myself, hey, look, if if Jean Chrétien can do it, surely I can. Right. Mm -hmm. I may not be able to do this, but it doesn't mean the end. I got over it. And I think I think, too, because I was able to recover. I, I don't think it's anything, right? Because I know people who, who didn't recover. I know people who have, who have had strokes or who have had various paralysis mm-hmm. who are now that way for the rest of their lives. And, I th- and to me, I go, well, that's the story. And so a story of recovery to me is not as, as, as important. And yet I hear time and time again just how important it is. And so I, I need to learn the lesson too, that it's important to share the story. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't preach it if I'm not willing to do it. And so I've become more open and understanding to why it's important and, mm-hmm. and it's why I do it. Because sometimes having a disability of any kind, visible or invisible, you can feel incredibly isolated. And to know yes. that there are people out there who, who have, if not exactly the same thing as you, but they still, it's, it's similar enough, comparable it can, it can do the, the world of good. So I'm sure that for the people that have inspired you, the people you will go on to inspire and the people that they will in their turn inspire. That's, I think that's another reason why performance is so important. And that's why I do this. Because le- legitimately, you know, I've got this one skill. I'm a good looking guy and I stand up on stage and I'm charismatic. You know, that's, that's, my, that's my thing. And there's not a lot of good that I can do socially with that. But if I teach the people who have a really good social mission, 
who have a drive to improve the world and they just need to get their message out. If I can inspire them to do that, then that's when I do good. Because as you said, it's the ripple effect. If I can empower even five people to go out, even if it's just one person to be able to go out and tell their story better, and that person then goes and helps somebody else, that's, that's that pay it forward effect. That's the ripple. That's the tsunami that starts with a small underground wave. And that's why I do what I do. So what's next for you? What are your, what, what, where do you hope to go next? Oh, I, I want to grow my empire so that I can have tons and tons of money <laughs> so that I can support starving artists. <laughs> because, you know, when they ask you, what would you do with a million dollars? Uh-huh. Right? And you play that exercise. If somebody were to give me a million dollars right now, I would hand it over to Marin and I would mount another musical. That's all I want to do. So the, the goal is, is to continue training, to get people to tell their story. And if I can make enough of a profit that I can turn around and help other people tell really fun fictional tales, mm-hmm. that's, that's the goal. That's, that's the five-year plan right now. I want to be able to uh, invest and mount some really, really good productions. And um, that's all. That's that's always been the focus. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Oh, Rosie, it was a joy. Thank you for having me. Not at all. I would like them, if they could, please, if you enjoy Yorick Radio and if you enjoy what Rosie is doing, I would ask that you hit pause right now and just take a moment to know how much work goes into putting on a podcast. I'm lucky because I'm the guest. I just get to show up and be this pretty smiley face and talky, 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 and then go about my business. Unfortunately, what you're listening to right now took a couple of hours of dedicated time of arranging schedules and making sure that we have a connection to talk and then editing things out and putting together. And there's a, a great deal of work that goes into it. So if you're a regular listener to York, or if you are just getting and tuning in for the first time, you're like, hey, this fun little podcast could be, could be a joy to listen to time and time again. And I assure you it is. I want you to hit pause right now. I want you to give Rosie, a five-star review for the efforts that she's doing. Because if you're listening to this and you're getting something out of it, uh, that's the least you can do to give back. So you hit pause right now, you give it a five-star review. And when you come back, welcome back. (laughs) I will now tell you that if you want more information from me, you can go to seantylerfoley.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R. F-O-L-E-Y, SeanTylerFoley.com. And you can go there and connect with me. Uh, all my socials are up there. My email's up there, phone numbers, addresses. You can get me any way that you want. And as a gift for anybody who goes to the website, right on the front landing page, we have a download called The Method. And that is five insider tips, uh, 35 years of knowledge compressed into five quick to implement tips to be a more confident and more engaging public speaker. So anybody can go there and grab that, but only if you give this podcast a five-star review, no five-star review, no method for you. (laughs) Thank you very much. I think that's the best promotion I've ever had. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tyler. This has been an absolute joy. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can hear more from Tyler on his social media and website. I'll also provide a link to his book in the show notes. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject that you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production. 